Hello, you're very welcome to Filling the Sink, a podcast from Catlan News. I'm Lorcan Doherty, and today we're talking about contemporary architecture. On this week's episode, we are remembering two giants in the world of Catalan architecture that passed away recently, Ricardo Bufil and Uriol Buigas. We'll also be looking at other leading figures from recent decades, so their contemporaries and successors, and we take a tour of a former industrial zone in Barcelona that's been transformed into a design and innovation hub with buildings to match. I'm joined today in our little makeshift studio by Gerard Escatch-Folk. Nice to see you, Gerard. Hi, nice to see you, Lorcan, again. And Christina, you're joining us down the line from over there, somewhere else in Barcelona. How are you getting <laughs> somewhere on? Somewhere else. Pretty good. Glad you were able to join us remotely anyway. Now, if you mention Catalan architects, Gerard, to most people, I suppose they'll think of Anthony Gaudí and maybe some of the other figures from the Catalan modernisme movement from the turn of the 20th century. But today we're actually talking about a different group of architects, aren't we? Yeah, we are definitely changing modernism to contemporary architecture. And I'm not going to say names because you already mentioned a couple of them and we are going to mention more during the podcast. But the idea is that these architects, they always work using open living spaces and obviously more clear lines compared to Gaudi, for example, with all the like lines that go turning around, going straight, going back and forward. So one example of these contemporary architects is Ricardo Bufil. He passed away not even two weeks ago as we record this on January 14th 2022 and Christina he's a huge figure in Catalan architecture. Um, Yeah no he was born in Barcelona in 1939 right after the Spanish Civil War ended and he was one of the the main figures of Catalan architecture um, of the past century. Uh, he, he's actually the mastermind behind uh, the Hotel Vela in Barcelona in the, at, at the beach. Um, he, so this is something that appears in pretty much any photo of the Barcelona yeah, seafront. You'll see that big hotel at the end. Yeah, yeah. The W Hotel, known as the Hotel, Hotel Vela. And uh, the National Theatre of Catalonia near Glorias, actually, which we'll talk about a bit more later on. And even the terminals one and two of the city's airport. I have to say, I'm a fan of his work. I did, you know, I didn't realize that those were all his buildings. But the National Theatre of Catalonia, it's beautiful. It's kind of like a Greek temple, but it's got this yeah. modern glass front. Like, so and it's actually, kind of remember that was the the first place that we ever went together to cover an event. I do remember just when I started here. Yeah, we yeah, went there yeah. to cover something there. Uh, just two years ago. <laughs> two years ago, and the. Airport terminals you mentioned as well. Like, you know, I'm a fan of Barcelona Airport. Very spacious. It's all very, you know, Mm -hmm. lots of light coming in. You don't get that feeling Mm -hmm. of like anxiety that I do get in (laughs) other airports. Are you you scared of flying? No, but just it's more the whole, you know, going through security, all that. But I do find that in Barcelona, I don't know, it's a little bit less. It it gives you peace before flying. Well, I guess because it's also a smaller airport than like Heathrow or Heathrow or Gatwick or something like that. So it's not as stressful. Still pretty big, still pretty big. Another building that Bofield designed was his own workshop, which was an old factory that he transformed in Sant Just Desvern, just on the outskirts of Barcelona. And this week, our colleague, Gifre Jordan, went along to a tribute to the architect, which featured film and live music from the Saharan region, one of the inspirations on Bofield's life and work. The immensity of the desert, of the Sahara Desert, 
huge rocks, the dunes, the sand, an immense landscape full of nothing. This is where Ricardo Field, Catalan architect who just died this month, found happiness. And I've just heard this quote by him in a video being shown, being broadcast outside his workshop during his tribute taking place today. And I didn't expect what I found. It's 10.30 a.m. on a Wednesday and there are dozens of people queuing to pay tribute to late Bofill and to see where genius and where magics took place, his workshop. This is full of candles, flowers and people, especially young people. Let's get in. This saloon is spectacular, made out of concrete with walls probably being like 20 meter high or something like that. And they've just decorated it all with pictures of Bofil, his work, and especially his family. We can see a smiley and happy Bofil in Africa, in Athens, in Barcelona, in several places with his beloved ones. And just walking through this saloon, I've just bumped into the Walden's um, model. Uh, the Walden building is one of his most famous works, his quintessential work. It's a set of flats uh, being put together as a labyrinth. And actually, it's just outside this workshop here in St. Justus Bern. Some of the pictures here decorating the saloon have also been printed in postcard size on a table so that visitors can collect them and take them home. And if you get one of those in the other side of the picture, we can read one of his most famous quotes. Un nomada, sigo siendo un nomada. A nomad, I'm still a nomad. I'm in a garden now outside the saloon. And all I can see is, is it bamboos? Bamboos, palm trees, other trees. And again, candles and, and pictures of him. Calm, Some noise of nature here. Peace. And the voice of someone talking about Bofil, along with some videos showing images of him as a young man several years ago enjoying nature here in this beautiful garden uh, we can see a book of signatures and ordinary people signing there are as of now 5,000 people who have registered to visit this workshop but also relatives of Bofil are here welcoming people and talking to their friends As I walk out of the tribute paid to architect Ricardo Bofilla, I come across one of his most famous works. Walden, it's just next door. It's just an enormous building, overwhelming, absolutely unique, with an M-shaped facade uh, from one side and an O-shaped facade from the other one. It is like a labyrinth, a maze, with seven interior gardens, 18 towers. And what is the most astonishing thing? A block of flats where 3,000 people are living. 
That was Gifrey Jordan. Thanks very much to him for that. Christina, you were speaking to Ricardo's son this week as well, weren't you? Uh, yeah, I spoke with Pablo Bofi, who's actually his youngest son. He's uh, half French, but he's lived in Barcelona and uh, been the CEO of the architecture workshop that his father founded for the past uh, 15 years or so. So he's he's running that now with his older brother, who is also called uh, Ricardo, Ricardo Emilio. And um, yeah, we just uh, had a short chat about his father's life and work and um he, he wants him to be remembered as a nomad because he's someone who moved around a lot and lived um, in France and Switzerland and, and worked in many other countries, including Algeria, the U.S., etc. And, um, you know, part of this was because he was forced out of the country uh, as, a, as a student um, when he was, I don't know, 18 or so. He was kicked out because of the Franco dictatorship, um, and he himself was anti-Francoist, a Republican anti-Francoist, so he had to leave. He first went to Switzerland, and then he came back, and then he was kicked out again. So um, one thing that really stood out to me about what Pablo said was that, um, you know, coming from... Um, even though Barcelona was such a big source of inspiration for him, coming from a smaller city that's not a capital, you know, it, it kind of forced him to have to like look beyond and open up to other influences. And and we can see this in his work. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a fascinating life, isn't it? And mm -hmm. uh, his work is absolutely fascinating as well. I mean, outside, we mentioned a few in Barcelona, but you know, if we go further afield outside Catalonia, along the Mediterranean coast, there's this red wall apartment complex in Calp, Gerard, mm -hmm. which I was just looking at photos of. It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite surreal, to be fair. It's like perched on the Mediterranean coast. And it's also really specific to that area. Yeah. Well, it kind of looks like the Walden building a bit, doesn't it? Yeah, which we, yeah, we heard um, Guy Frey mention earlier as well. And actually that building, you see it from the train as you're kind of going out that direction. And mm -hmm. it, it really stands out as well because, you know, we've got other what I would just call normal apartment buildings. And then in the middle of it all, this thing that, yeah, definitely stands out in a good way, I, in my opinion, anyway. Um, he's also known for, I mean, he's done work all over the world, but uh, in Montpellier, his firm created a whole a huge area, 36 hectares uh, worth of buildings, apartments, offices, commercial premises uh, in the Antigone neighborhood of Montpellier in France. We worked out before we recorded here, 36 hectares, 50 football pitches. That's how we have to measure these kind of things, obviously. <laughs> Not American football, though. Soccer pitches, I should say, Christina. So, yeah. <laughs> no, well, it's fine. Speaking of sport, actually, it's pretty hard to talk about contemporary architecture in Catalonia and not mention the Barcelona 1992 Summer Olympic Games because the city just it completely transformed in that time. And it wasn't just Catalan architects, Gerard. It was a global effort, if you like. Yeah, indeed. Like, for example, Palau San Jordi, that was created or designed by Japanese uh, uh, architect Arote Sozaki. And he designed a roof that people would like, obviously, I was not born at that time, but people that were living here, <laughs> they still remember how it was constructed because the roof was lifted for 10 days 
using a hydraulic jack, which is a device that is used to lift heavy loads by apply, applying some kind of force. Like we are not going to talk physics here, <laughs> but yeah, it was like the ceiling, the roof was lifted for 10 days. That, that's amazing. It's this huge dome as well. So this is the Palau San Jordi perched up on Montjuic there. And then on the other side of the city, kind of looming over Barcelona, you've got, well, Tibidabo, and then the Torre called Sorolla, which again was yeah. built just for the games. Exactly. It was uh, designed by British architect Norman Foster, and it's visible from everywhere because it was created for sending the, the TV signal, the broadcast signal from the Olympic Games to all over the world. So obviously, if you see it, you will see like plenty of antennas and plenty it's of... It's all satellites and satellites stuff. And I mean, I have to say, I don't think aesthetically it's the most beautiful thing, but it's got it's more but for a practical... you can go up it. it. has a very nice, very nice view there. Ah, right. Okay. Okay. Next time, next time on the air, I'll go up. <laughs> uh, the driving force behind Barcelona's radical transformation in the years leading up to the Games was Oriol Buigas, who died aged 95 just a few months ago on November the 30th. He remolded the city, didn't he, Christina? Definitely. He's he's known as the father of modern Barcelona. He was um, a contemporary of Buffy. They um, actually did a lot of work uh, ahead of the Olympics. And he, he's known for opening the city to the sea because before, you know, now we have like the beaches from Barceloneta to Forum. But before then, um, there was a shanty town in Barceloneta called Somorrostro. And it just wasn't as... Um, I guess appealing to residents to go down there, and and, and enjoy the 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 sea, the nature. So he he's known for for radically transforming that entire area. It's kind of hard to imagine at the minute that that was kind of all cut off by apparently there was a railway track and fences and factories and walls, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and now when you go, it just seems like God. I, why would you not have that all open? But, you know, until Oriol Boigas came along, that was how it was. And it's not only that area from the beach that he was a key figure. He also influenced some other buildings because in 1980, when he was part of the Barcelona City Council, he was the architect in charge of urban planning. He pushed for the reconstruction of what everyone here calls Pabellón Mies van der Rohe, or it's known as Barcelona Pavilion, which was a building that German architect Mies van der Rohe designed for the Barcelona exhibition in 1929, which happened in, up in Montjuic. The building was demolished because obviously it was intended for just the exhibition. And then years later, Uriol Boigas pushed for them to reconstruct it, to find the pieces, the original parts of the building that Mies van der Rohe designed. Oriel Boigas was married to Beth Galley, an architect in her own right, who was known for her projects, which kind of put pedestrians at the forefront of planning public space. She was involved, like Boigas and Bouffil, uh, in the Olympic Games, and I think pretty much any Catalan architecture. She was responsible for the areas around Baldebron, Diagonal, and also some in Montjuic. Decorated all over the world as well by the French government, the Dutch National Prize for Urbanism. And for any of our Irish listeners, she designed the main street in Cork, Patrick Street, uh, a project that she said was to bring Barcelona socialism to Cork by creating a new public space for all. If anyone was listening to our podcast last week, you might remember we went under Park Joan Miró and Galí actually designed 
the bit above ground, the park itself and the library there and stuff, which is it's actually a fascinating design because it's not that big of a park, but there's all these kind of different levels and stuff. So it feels like you can kind of walk around and uh, get lost a little bit, even though it's not quite big a space. The park is actually, the library there is actually really cool. I, I, I didn't realize it was her, um, but it's, it's surrounded by water and fountains yeah with the water and fountains which comes from beneath i suppose if you again if you were listening last week yeah. you would have heard about uh-huh, you, you, you would have heard about all the water storage there um no it's beautiful and light filled and everything as well gerard let's talk about another area of barcelona now glorious yeah or plaza de las glorias which is one of the neighborhoods in barcelona closer to the sea to the what used to be an industrial area so because real Buigas also took part in uh, that area. He designed what is called Design Hub, which is a, a building created for design, our creativity, innovation. And it's now a museum that is even hosting a bank's exposition. So it's quite important in Barcelona. And the whole area, it's another one of those areas in Barcelona that has changed so much in recent decades and all these new buildings popping up. So it's a perfect place, Gerard, for a tour of contemporary architecture, which is exactly what you did this week, wasn't it? Exactly. You know that I love to go on tours. I went to Sitges (laughs) and now I'm going to Gloria, so 22 at 22 Arroba in Catalan, which is the booming uh, neighborhood in Barcelona, especially on innovation and technology. And your tour guides and our tour guides now are Lorenzo Caras and Stephanie Hare. Where we are right now is a very privileged position because you can have a look. So my name is Lorenzo Caras. I am the director of Guiding Architects Barcelona. Say where we are. <laughs> we are at Plaza Glorias. Um, um, you can see. Hi, my name is Stephanie Herr. <laughs> I'm originally from Germany, um, also an architect like Lorenzo. So right now we are standing in front of um, Torre de las Glorias right now, um, a building erected in 2006. I think it was the very first one that was inaugurated here. The architect is Jean Nouvel, together with B7020 Architects, which is a local firm. So if you have a look at these different um, colors, you, you will see red tones and blue tones. Um, the red tones directly refer to the earth and the blue tones to the um, sky. The, the building is changing like a chameleon. It very much depends on how the, the sun incides in the building. Now we have a bright day, a clear day with a clear sky. This 22 ed area, which is quite a big area, it's about 150 blocks that have been transformed. And interestingly, we are within a typical Echample block, but it doesn't look like a typical Echample block. The idea is that you bring much more light into these blocks. It is the idea to get density out of this city. And also you can see the pre-existing textile factories that had to be preserved. We'll call this the industrial heritage. And those have to be integrated within the new projects. Here we are in the campus UPF Pompeu Fabra, Poleno, which is a former textile factory, as you can see, a wonderful factory called Cal Aragnon from the 19th century. This was abandoned and it had to be transformed into a, into a university. So what the architect would do in this case is renovate the existing building, the facade, as you can see, but inside it would be hollowed out and substituted with the new function. And the facade of the new building has a glass element that it is inspired by the brick so sort of 
creating a dialogue between the old and the new. This is one of the big topics in architecture. How do you deal with the existing structure? How do you talk from the present to the past? This is one um, attempt. New and old don't touch. They never touch. There's always a gap in between. Actually, if you look, for example, there's a big chimney and at the bottom of the chimney, there's a little gap. It looks like it is floating. So the building we are um, looking at now is quite different um, in comparison to the rest we've seen. It's called Fundación Vilacasas o Canframis, the building itself. This was also a former textile factory. The old buildings consist of different materials. You can see it in the facade. You can see perfectly that you have like bricks, you have natural stone, um, then you have like the arcs. Um, and they just put like a lime plaster on top of it and white and gray. So everything seems to be like a unity. And then they put this new nave in the center using a new material, in a material of our time. So it's just like this continuum of different materials, but of different times. What makes this building so special within the context? It's like a building, it's a much more subtle one. This is like going back to the, to the roots, um, building also with little, with little means, but doing like a much more yeah, like subtle thing. Yeah, and I think this is important to stress out that not all architecture what is, um, that is well known or meant to be important has to be like um, big, huge and screaming. Uh, good architecture mainly deals with space, yeah, with creating space and creating like um, atmospheres and I think you can feel it here. Well, our thanks to Lorenzo and Stephanie, our guides from Guiding Architects Barcelona. Gerard, any other figures that you think we should be talking about in, when we, if we're talking about contemporary architecture? Well, there are plenty, obviously, but we are going to focus only on one. He's considered uh, one of the most important post-World War II architects. He's Catalan architect José Antonio Clerc. And one of his most famous buildings is Casa Ugalde, which is located in the seaside town of Caldas de Estrac. And it was built up in 1951. But the importance of this building is not that it was in a town near Barcelona. If not, it's that it was built up on top of a mountain with a beautiful landscape view. And the house is really integrated into the landscape because, after all, it, he only played with white walls and windows and transparencies. So it gets to integrated into the nature. Yeah, I'm imagining, I haven't looked at photos of this one, and I imagine, you know, just a pure Mediterranean scene, no, with the pines and... For me, to be fair, it reminds me to uh, another international architect, Le Corbusier, with his Ville Savoie from 1929, which is also white, and it's like a two-floor building, well, three-floor building, to be fair, and the first one is literally floating on the air. So, yeah, it reminds me to Casa Ogalde, which is also... Lots of nice. air and space and white and clean. and yeah, yeah, like really, really summery. I would like go there Very for summery. summery. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, there are so many architects that we could talk about. Just going to mention two more. Husband and wife team, Benedetta Tagliabue and Enrique Miralles. Tagliabue was actually born in 1963 in Milan. Together, they founded the company Miralles Tagliabue, EMBT, and among their most notable projects is the Scottish Parliament building in Edinburgh, which, as someone who lived in Edinburgh for a few years, 
I walked through and around several times and always was kind of struck by how unusual it was. It's not to everyone's taste. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast in Edinburgh and you've got any opinions, if you, if you like the Catalan influence there, you can let us know. We've got an email address now. It's fillingthesink at acn.cat. And do feel free to get in touch with any comments or questions. Time now for our Catalan phrase. Christina, what is it this week? En lloc com a casa. It's very fitting for me this week. En eh? <laughs> <laughs> lloc com a casa is like something like home. A place yeah, like home? no place nope. like home. No place like home, of course. No place like home. So Wizard of Oz style, no? Yeah, we gave you an easy one this week. That's an easy one, yeah. Okay, so. Thanks very much, Christina, for joining us from home today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thanks, Gerard, as well, for coming in. Well, you know I always like to come here and say hi to you. (laughs) Thanks as well to everyone we spoke to this week, Lorenzo and Stephanie and Pablo Bofil. We're back again, as always, next Saturday with another episode of Filling the Sink. Until then, for me, Lorcan Doherty, and all of us here at Catalan News, bye for now. Adieu.